For 100 years, he has wandered the halls of Whipstaff Manor. Wow. Waiting for someone. There's a girl on my bed. Yes. Now, life at Whipstaff Manor will never be the same. Ghosts can't hurt you. Yes, bone bag! Don't come near me, you spiteful spook! We share haunting stories, we throw parties. The parties are always pretty dead, though. I feel like Oprah on hiatus. We have company. Well, company loves misery. Oh, take a hike. Get a grade. Yeah. Dad. Oh, one and one for all. Take your pants before they fall. <laughs> you guys are disgusting, obnoxious creeps. Thank you. Universal Pictures and Evelyn Entertainment. Are we scary or what? Invite you on a wild, wondrous ride. Hurry up, come on. To the other side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. And what are we looking at this time? We are looking at the 1995 movie, Casper. And I am joined once again by a very special guest. Let's hear it for Meredith Nudo. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Imaginary applause. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you for throwing the imaginary flowers at me, imaginary audience Okay, member. quit milking the I'm, imaginary. I'm imaginary blowing kisses at all of you. Uh, Meredith and I, uh, we did a podcast before, Ghostbusters 2. So whenever I do a podcast involving ghosts, she has to be a part of it. She's slowly waiting for me to do the original Ghostbusters, but I'm holding off on that. I'm torturing her a little bit longer. Uh, we are doing Casper, and it's sort of a sneaky Dan Aykroyd because I did Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Dan Aykroyd was in that movie for 45 seconds. Well, he's in Casper for even less than that. What would you see, about 20 seconds? Oh, maybe not even. Maybe not uh, even. And bonus, though, he is a Ghostbuster, which is why I'm here. He is a Ghostbuster. He is actually playing Ray Stance in this movie for his 20 seconds of screen time. And that, to me, I find that really entertaining because it's not like it hasn't been done, but it's very uncommon for a character to make a appearance in another movie. It's a licensing thing. And that was that was the best part of the movie, too, when they go to exercise the house and they bring in Guido Sarducci, who I love. And and then Ray stands. That that was a great scene. So tell me, you have experience. I have quite a bit of experience. Not, you know, like exactly doing it but i've studied it and i talked to people who have done it 
I've seen the videos and uh, I feel very confident that with my knowledge, I could, I could do it, no problem. Then you can handle this. It's no problem. It's like no problem whatsoever. Piece of cake, piece of crumb cake. Was fine. Was uh, no problem. Piece of cake. <laughs> Who are you gonna call? Someone else. I'm sort of go- uh, geeking out about that scene. The scene starts. Uh, we're just gonna once again. We're gonna jump all over the place uh, with Casper. The movie starts. Uh, Kathy Moriarty. And what is Eric Idle? Kathy Moriarty inherits a house, and she's with Eric Idle. And what is Eric Idle? What is his, you know, connection to Kathy Moriarty? Yeah, they don't ever define it. I always took him as some kind of personal assistant. But what does she do? Even they don't even clarify what her job is, aside from being uh, like she she held her dad's hand for two days while he was sick, waiting for him to die, so she would inherit something. So I don't. I don't feel like she had a good enough relationship with her father to be wealthy through or wealthy through uh, his lineage because he left all of the money to to animals, which really angered her. So I- I'm guessing that she has her own money and therefore has a personal assistant. But none of that is defined because she's meant to be a generic evil lady. G.E.L. Generic evil lady. Right, which I love. Actually, loved her. I thought she was life goals, but there's there's nothing past that. And really, was she all that evil because she owned the house? So technically, the treasure was legally hers in the first place. But we'll get into that later. So the beginning of the movie, Kathy Moriarty inherits this house, and they find out that it's haunted. The movie started off promising. I like Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle are hands down the best thing about this movie. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I will agree with you. It starts off. Well, it starts. It doesn't start off promising. It starts off with a couple of kids exploring this house. They find the, you know, they find Casper. And then we cut to Kathy Moriarty inheriting this house where Casper lives. There's this beginning scene where she wants to exercise the ghosts. And she brings in, as you said, Father Guido Sarducci. Yeah. And Guido Sarducci is awesome. I will still quote, oh yeah, it'll be a piece of cake. It'll be a piece of crumb cake these days. Like, he was great. I love Guido Sarducci. He's he's always fun whenever he shows up. And I remember he showed up and fifth grade me was like, oh, it's Guido Sarducci because I um, have age and appropriate knowledge of things. Well, and his name is Don Novello. Right, right. So here's, and then after Don Novello, Dan Aykroyd comes rushing down the stairs as Ray Stance. With a mustache. So within a, within a 30 seconds, we get Eric Idle, Kathy Moriarty, Guido Sarducci, and Dan Aykroyd. 
They're all in this scene together. Now, here's the universe. Eric Idle did a, a mockumentary of the Beatles called The Ruddles, mm-hmm. which Dan Aykroyd appeared in. And Kathy Moriarty did a movie with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi where she played Dan Aykroyd's wife. And Don Novello was a writer-performer on Saturday Night Live and was also writing John Belushi's movie, Noble Rot, the movie that he was going to make right before he died. So all four of these characters are intertwined through all these movies in Hollywood and all four of them are just pressed together in this 30, 45 second scene. And just all the history between them, I that's just my geekiness cool coming up. Well, and, and Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle's uh, comedic chemistry in this was fantastic throughout. They played off each other well. They had great timing. I mean, who who is ever going to question Eric Idle's timing? Come on, the man is a legend for a reason. I will question his jerry curl mullet that he was wearing during the film it but was other the than mid 90s but yes so the, like i said the movie opens promisingly there's the comedic timing between kathy moriarty and eric idol and then we get the main characters of the movie bill pullman and christina ricci ricci or ricci 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 she's a fellow italian ricci 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 you know what uh, before we go on I'm going to pull back the curtain here. Uh, Before we did this podcast, Meredith and I were uh, emailing back between each other. When was the first time you saw this movie, Meredith? When I was a child. I... I don't think I saw it in the theater, but like I had the Casper books. And when I was a kid, my orthodontist used to give us these little wooden coins that we could save up and buy things. And I saved up to buy a VHS of Casper and I watched the hell out of it because I loved this movie as a kid. And I was like, oh, man, I haven't watched this since I was a wee one. I wonder if it holds up. No. (laughs) And then no, she emails it me. Really didn't. She emails me and she is just crestfallen. It's like this movie is terrible. Why did I like it so much? Because this was the first time I I've seen it. I never saw it before uh, when it came out. I, I, w- I would just say pretty much the movie is when Eric Idle and Kathy Moriarty aren't on the screen. The movie is pretty boring. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> And uh, no, I I remember thinking it was a lot funnier than it was. And I mean, I had good taste as a child. I watched Space Ghost Coast to Coast and that held up amazing. So. Well, I think one problem this movie had is it's all over the place tone wise. Is it made for kids? Well, if it's made for kids, there's a lot of adult themes in it. To be fair, from- dealing with matters of death really should not be seen as just an adult theme, I think, to be honest. I think that the fact that we shelter children from death and ignore it actually kind of makes the problem of dealing with death even worse. But this is also coming from a kid whose parents did not shy away from that kind of thing. And I, I grew up okay, maybe. I also I agree with that, but then but then they keep they introduce ghosts. So are kids going to think, well, I'm not really dead. I'm going to be a ghost. 
after seeing this movie? I mean, I, I didn't think that. I thought it would be cool to have a, a ghost friend. I don't have any ghost friends yet. That doesn't mean I haven't tried. I, I don't believe in ghosts because I have asked dead friends to come and visit me as ghosts, and they never have. So ghosts aren't real. Well, that might, maybe this, they just didn't like you in real life. Oh! I mean, probably, because <laughs> I don't always like me in real life. No, I'm not a fan of myself either. Uh, but, I know, and, I've produced your comedy. But the, the movie is all over the place, tone-wise. And it it, 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 it it sort of gives you whiplash. It's like, oh, this I, is a, a, a comedy farting scene, and now we're talking about death. And I mean, it's oh, a it's totally a mid-90s kids movie. That's that's yeah. what they did is they vacillated between oh, oh look there's a there's a poop joke but also let's talk sincerely about your dead mom who's an angel but also fart noises and I'm Casper first of all who names their kid Casper but anyway I mean he know. was from the like what he died in the 1940s or something yes that's a 1940s up, name yeah then we bring up child death. With Casper, he died as a child. He died as a 12-year-old. Hey, hey, Scott, I've got a question for you. So this is a okay. popular internet theory. Do you think that Casper is the ghost of Richie Rich? Oh, yes, I've seen that. I think he's closer to the hot stuff. I don't know who that is because I'm not 500 years old like you. Thank you. You're welcome. I never knew Richie Rich died. Well, he has to at some point. He's allegedly yes. mortal. And that's another thing. It's not, you said it's a friend. It's not to, Casper has the hots for Christina Ricci. Yeah, he's that, like, that was. He's hitting that, on her as a ghost. Yeah, that, that went over my head as a kid. But as an adult, he was like, I want a friend. I'm so lonely. My ghost uncles treat me bad. And, and then he's like, okay, but actually I want a human girlfriend. And it's like, well, what, what, what do you want? Because girlfriend and friend, that, that's two completely different dynamics there. There's that one scene where he goes, oh my God, oh my God, there's a girl on my bed. There's a girl on my bed. Well, you know what that means when you got a girl in your bed. It's. Well, I mean, I've had lots of girls in my bed. Yeah. But so, so there's, you know but a lot of different things happened. So, I mean, I mean, no, I don't know what that means, because it could mean a lot of different things. It means that he wants to get laid. Well, I mean, don't most 12-year-old boys? Yes. And that's why he's excited that there's a, a girl in his bed. Right, but, uh, but like, prior to that, he's like, I want friends. And then suddenly he's like, I want to get ghost laid. And I'm just like, what? Like, if, if Casper had died when he was 18, he would be wearing a fedora and calling Cat Milady with as much complaining and sulking as he does about the fact that she has a crush on a human boy that will actually age alongside her instead of remaining stunted as a 12-year-old forever. Like, he didn't think this one through because by the time she turns, like, 18... He's gonna always be underage. Like, does he want her to be a ghost pedo? But then technically he's you know 95 years old, so he's technically a pedo in, in this situation. No, it's it's stated pretty pretty clearly that he died at 12, so he stays he, 12. He died at 12, but 
Right, but he's still well, he stayed twelve because he's still stuck at twelve. I, I'm supposing that you you get s- stuck in the age that you die at. So that that's something I can. It doesn't change the fact that it's creepy. It's not like Ghost, where it's like semi sexy with the with the pottery and shit. Well, you say this is a 1995 kids movie, uh, but that well, well, you mentioned the uncle. So Casper lives in this house with his three obnoxious uncles. They're the ones causing trouble. Casper just wants people to come in and be his friend or get laid, however you want to look at it. How would that um, even physically work? Look, I'm not even going to go into a ghost penis. He didn't have one. Oh, I guess uh, I guess because he can shapeshift. But I, mm, why couldn't he have just wanted her as a friend? Like, why did they have to do the shoehorning in a crush slash romantic angle? Because, like I said, as a kid, it just flew over my head. I was just like. <laughs> If ghost friends and then as an adult i'm like no this makes me uncomfortable because she gets a crush on a real boy and now he and then he gets know, jealous he gets jealous and i'm like can't you just be happy for her, you creepy little incel ghost but in the middle of this kids movie the uncle ghosts get inside bill pullman and turn him into clint eastwood rodney dangerfield Mel Gibson and the Crypt Keeper. I'm gonna kill you, your mama, and all our bridge playing friends. You think you got a tough? I got a facelift. There was one just like it underneath. And these were, and this was 1995. Mel Gibson. This was before all his troubles. This is when Mel Gibson was one of the biggest stars on the planet, and uh, Clint Eastwood just had uh, just won a bunch of Academy Awards. These were big, big stars at the time. I looked at the director and the writer. The director just did before this movie. Just did a bunch of television shows. I don't know how. How do you think they would get? You know, stars, they, they were in there for, you know, a minimal amount of time, but to get somebody like that in your movie, including Dan Aykroyd and Guido Sarducci, Don Novello, how would you get these people to make cameos in your movie when they you... Need the, they need the SAG hours. I mean... Well, I don't think any of them needed SAG hours at that time. Look, you take what work you can get. You get your SAG hours, you get your health insurance. I don't yeah, know what I their thought... sa- I don't know what their saga hour status at the time was. They could have been in between projects. They I mean, wasn't this produced by Amblin? Maybe maybe like maybe Spielberg had some dirt on them. I'm well, sure he's got now, dirt on a lot of people. If it was, I don't know if now if Spielberg was involved, then yes, I could see them getting all of these stars. Uh, Maybe he I'll was just to trying to help a new director out by being like, hey, I'm going a, I'm to a get you like literally one second of each of these guys. But I, don't, I liked seeing the Crypt Keeper, though. I, I, dig, I, I dig the Crypt Keeper. It, that made sense in the context of the, the prank that they were pulling, too. Right. I, I, I mean, I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan, so I was a bit shocked to see him in this movie, even if it was for like t- two or three seconds. And Rodney Dangerfield. 
I just didn't know where this movie was going. It was just all, and I don't mind weird movies, but you have to engage me and you have to be, you have to be funny. And because, because at the beginning, Casper's watching television and he sees this commercial and it's about Bill Pullman, not a commercial, it's a TV show. And they're interviewing Bill Pullman who he talks to ghosts and he tries to get ghosts to, if you're a ghost, you have unfinished business here on earth. So you can't go into the afterlife. So he's making himself, he's portraying himself as somebody who can talk to ghosts and get them to go into the afterlife. And in this TV show, we see Christina Ricci. And when I first saw that, I thought that Casper wanted to talk to Bill Pullman to get his unfinished business so he could go to the next level. But it wasn't. He saw Christina Ricci and he just wanted he just wanted her there with him. So Kathy Moriarty hires Bill Pullman to come to the house and exercise the ghosts. And for a good portion of the movie after that, Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle disappear from the movie. And they were the best part of the movie. Do we ever know what Casper's unfinished business was even? Also, you would think he would want to figure it out so he could see his dad again. Because I'm presuming that his dad died after having finished his business because his dad's not around anymore. It's never brought up what Casper's unfinished business is or what the uncle's unfinished business is. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that the uncles probably don't want to fix their unfinished business. Like, I'm going to credit them probably with some modicum of self-awareness. Like, they don't want to fix it because they like tormenting the fleshies, which, honestly, if I was a ghost, I would probably feel the same way, but I would be funnier. Casper's parents, like, you would think he'd want to go see his parents. He obviously had great love for the both of them because he talked reverently about his mother's dress when he gave it to Cat. He spoke so wonderfully of his father's inventions. And I would imagine that the, the wonderful clockwork toys in his, in his bedroom were probably built by his father. Uh, you know, his father stayed by his bedside while he was dying. His dad spent time in an asylum because he was in so much grief. And in, back then, you couldn't get any real mental health help because, uh, you know, ah, it's a sign of weakness. Ah. But like you said, that was a strange tease. And staying in the mortal realm for a cat, like we said, would... would it would just be kind of a fool's errand because eventually she would age out of it. And it's also unfair to expect her to uh, uh, stunt her own life for the sake of a ghost child. Right. It doesn't make sense that Casper would want to be, he, he doesn't torture people. You know, he doesn't scare people. He, tr he can't make friends because he's a ghost. Why would he want to stay, you know, in the realm of the living when he could go on and right. see and, his parents? And here's the thing, too, is that, like, I understand Casper's 12 and a ghost from a different time. So I'm not going to expect him to necessarily have the same degree of self-awareness or values or anything as what 1995s would have been. But the movie treats it as cute rather than kind of really weird and uncomfortable. Like, if they had kind of 
if if it had kind of been presented as this is how this stunted ghost child is thinking and behaving, I mean, it makes sense, but also it's really strange and really uncomfortable. Like if they had had if the movie had as much self-awareness as the ghost uncles. If anybody had unfinished business, it's Casper's father. Because he invented a machine that we find out later that can bring the dead back from the dead. And I mean, it's also been noted that the ghosts can travel because Casper haunts the television set. So if his dad died somewhere other than that house, his dad's spirit could still travel and come over and visit him. Well, so yeah, he was... went to Hong Kong to get a paper for Bill Pullman. Right. You know, the the Hong Kong Express or whatever. So he was able to go to Hong Kong and back. That's why I want to be a ghost, because then I don't have to pay for travel. <laughs> have you ever... I mean, yeah, I've flown over the Pacific, and it's... It's a... It's a trip. It's a... It's... And I only fly economy. So you can imagine... It's... It, I, being a ghost and just like, poof, now I'm in Hong Kong. That'd be great. Save my knees. So much trouble. Less jet lag, too. And then we were talking about the love triangle, and that just seems shoehorned in where Christina Ritchie goes to a new high school. You know, immediately there's the rich, bitchy girl that hates her. I mean, these are all stereotypes. The cute boy that likes her, and that was just not... That was just not needed. That it, There was no payoff to that oh, at all. No, Scott, it was needed because you can't make Anne a movie without a romantic subplot. But uh, the romantic the... subplot didn't go anywhere. It doesn't matter. You have to establish heterosexuality immediately or else the fans are going to start speculating and writing their fan fictions. And here's the deal. Okay, so uh, Christina Ricci goes to school the first day, and this is all set around Halloween. For some reason, they can't have the Halloween dance at the school. And then somebody goes, well, Christina Ricci, she just moved into that big haunted house. Why don't we have, have the party there? They didn't even ask her. They were like, yeah, let's have a party at her house. They, 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 they thrust that on her. I, I mean, that was, you, I know you, you got to get everybody in the house, but... The girl who's gone to the school for one day, you're like, yeah, we're all going to come to your house for Halloween. What if she's a serial killer? Like, you're inviting yourself into a serial killer's house. Look, before you say anything about the fact that she's 12, it's Maine, and it's a haunted house, all right? We're getting into Stephen King territory here. She could be there, Carrie. Now, I one thing I did like about the movie is that... Uh, Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman had a nice relationship. Usually when you get movies like this, where the dad's a bit of a crackpot, the daughter is embarrassed and is sort of, you know, cold to the to the dad or to the mom or the remaining parent. You don't get that in this movie. Uh, Bill Pullman and uh, Christina Ricci, it looks like they have they have a nice loving relationship as father and daughter. Yeah, they're really so, sweet. They are really sweet, and it was nice to see that it, we didn't get the tip because there's a lot of there's a lot of typical stuff in this movie. A lot of stuff that I saw coming because I would text you and I'm like, "Is this going to happen?" And you're like, "Well, you're really close," and you could see jokes coming a mile away, and you could see the machine that turns you know dead people alive again. 
They're like, we only have we only have enough juice for one more. I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're not going to use it on Casper. Something's going to come up where they have to use it on somebody else, and they have to end up using it on the dad because he accidentally kills himself. So there's very there's not a lot of originality in this movie. Okay, but can we talk about how the dad accidentally kills himself versus? Uh... Kathy Moriarty deliberately killing herself because that is kind of bothering me. And it, it's another inconsistency is Kathy Moriarty dies and she comes back and she already has all of her memories. Right. And right. Casper talks about how as a ghost, your memory degrades a little bit. Over, it starts degrading over time to where you're really kind of only getting some small fl- snippets of what your life was like. And, but when, when Bill Pullman dies, he forgets his daughter. Like he's already starting to just forget everything. How did he die again? Did he? He fell he... into a pit because he was drunk and doing karaoke. Okay, he fell into a pit. He walks out the front doors of a karaoke place and falls. What? Who builds a pit in front of a karaoke? It was. It was construction. There were construction vehicles. Okay. And they were, yeah, he walks through the, he's, cause he's walking backwards and he walks through a construction sign. So he doesn't see what's happening. But okay. again, though, what was strange is that they died roughly around the same time and show up as ghosts. And then I'm, I'm going to bring up something else on that later. So Kathy Moriarty ghost has all of her memories. Bill Pullman ghost is already starting to get the, like immediately forgets his daughter. So that's an inconsistency. And also, like, I'm wondering, does your, does the the cartoonishness of your body also fade because like Casper and his three uncles are fully like white transparent ghosts and they're not and- wearing clothes or anything but the Kathy Moriarty ghost and the Bill Pullman ghost have the hair and the stubble and the glasses and so does I'm wondering and this was a neat detail but also I don't I'm not sure I understand it does does their their physical body degrade and become more cartoony over time because Casper didn't have clothes or hair so it was that I, I'm not sure I understand that that choice because uh, there wasn't really any accompanying mention of their bodies and the way that they they operate but that's not even fully true because uh, Casper turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger with a big Superman sign on his chest. And he can, they can all uh, change their shape. So I, I don't know. I, it's, I don't understand how the ghosts work in this. And I'm angry. I hate it when people say, well, you're being too hard on it. It's a children's movie. Even if it is a children's movie, it's, it's got to be good and it's got to make sense. Well, I mean, I also feel like it's very condescending to say that children's entertainment can't be high quality. Kids aren't dumb. Kids have taste and kids understand good things. Like, yeah, sometimes they laugh at fart jokes, but guess what? Fart jokes can be funny. Fart jokes can be hilarious. It's all about timing and it's not the fart that's inherently funny. It's the way it's timed and the context in which it's farted. You know, it, I, I just don't like this idea that children's entertainment has to be condescending and it's okay to be lazy in your storytelling. That is insulting, I think, to the intelligence and sophistication of children. And if anyone's like, well, they're married at their children are smart and sophisticated. Talk to a kid 
I'm not saying that these are kids that are that are traipsing down the halls of the Louvre with opera glasses when I say sophisticated. I mean in terms of an ability to understand the complexity of things and pick up on some degree of nuance that they don't have to have things spoon-fed to them, that kids are, are capable of, of recognizing inconsistencies. I wasn't because I was a particularly stupid child, but that's beside the point. Well, you can make a movie for adults and children, like Toy Story. That's for adults and children. Miyazaki movies. Yes. But this is... It's like, okay, this part... It's just hard to explain. The the movie is just so disjointed. It gives you whiplash. It's like, oh, we're doing this now. Whoop, now we're over here. And whoop, now we're up here. The character arcs don't go anywhere in this movie you know the strangest character arc was the the rich girl and the boy for the the human boy from the love triangle because like they were talking about how they're gonna pull this really big prank on cat and they're just gonna ruin our halloween party but their prank was just it seemed to be just them standing on top of like the girl standing on the other guy's shoulders in a halloween costume stacked on top of each other and i'm and i'm like that just looks like you have a cool buddy costume like how is this a prank how is this going to ruin everything if you're if you're running around like that a logistically it's going to go really slow and not not really terrify anyone because you're going to be slow enough for people to recognize your face it was a it was a ridiculous plan usually when you see something like that is oh they're going to embarrass her but how because people saw their their costume and clapped because they're like, yeah, it's a cool costume. I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's what happened. They made a cool costume. Oh, what a, what a big scary prank. Oh, they, they sure showed Cat with their great Halloween costume. No, no, I agree. It was, like I said, it didn't go. The subplot of the rich girl wanting to get even with Christina Ricci for no reason whatsoever. Christina oh, no, did no, nothing no. to her. Christina Ricci took her man. No, she sent her man. Oh she, no, no, Scott. He smiled at her when they were on bikes. So obviously he he is gonna like abandon her after she'd already decided when they're gonna get married after high school and how many little kids she's gonna squirt out. And she named all of the them already, and she knows what kind of, of dog they're gonna get and the white picket fits. She had all that planned out and he ruined it with a smile. But once that this ties into all the inconsistency, you think that the you think that the mortal boy is going to end up with with Christina Ritchie. It it's like they even they even screw up what you're expecting. If this was a more clever movie, I would have accepted that. But this is a by the numbers movie. It's like if you're going to do a by the numbers movie, do a by the numbers movie. You know what I was thinking the entire time? is how much I wish this was a Barry Sonnenfeld movie and how much I wish Ed Solomon had written it. Because weird, making weird stuff charming is their bread and butter. And they would have both been amazing. I I agree. Anything would have been better than... When we reviewed Ghostbusters 2, we came down on it pretty hard. However... We still both agreed that it was a, you know, it's, we enjoyed the movie and it was a, it was a good movie all in all. Yeah, I recall saying it was fine. We're not doing, we're coming down hard on this movie because we don't like this movie. I, and I'm, 
I'm sad that I don't like it because I remembered loving it as a kid and I I wish I could still have that love for it, you know? There's a lot of stuff from my childhood that still holds up. Speaking of stuff from your childhood, which they uh, stole in the when they send Kathy Moriarty back through the gates to wherever she's going because she's on earth because she wants this treasure and like you say she is legally entitled to this treasure that's in her property. Right. So her plot to be like, I'm going to die so I can become a ghost and go through that, go through that, that safe big door. safe. And I'm like, but why? You own this house. You legally have the right to say, hey, that's my stuff. You know, or hey, can you please leave this room i i have something to check out like legally all of that belongs to her now i can understand if for example ghost law was a thing and property law had been expanded to include spirits that had been left behind because of unfinished business but that as far as i know is not a thing either in our universe or in the universe of this movie so we're supposed to just be like all of that stuff belongs to casper and I'm like, but, but legally, Kathy Moriarty could have just taken a jackhammer to that safe. And, like, she was a bad guy because she was greedy and sour and selfish. But she wasn't necessarily a bad guy for wanting a treasure that she was legally entitled to. She was legally entitled to it, but she couldn't get to it because of the ghosts. And so if she became a ghost, wouldn't you want to see a ghost fight between her and the uncles? Yeah, that would have been awesome. That would have been great. And and how they vanquish her. She's got the treasure, which we turn out to be a baseball and a glove, which I knew that I knew it wasn't going to be a real treasure. I knew it was going to be something like that or a fishing pole or a picture of his mother, something like that. I knew it wasn't going to be a real treasure. Everybody knew it wasn't going to be a real treasure. Well, what if the treasure was the friends that we made along the way? Exactly. Crap like that. Uh, but she's got this treasure chest under her arm, and Casper and Christina Ricci go... Any other takers? No. But aren't you forgetting something? What? Your unfinished business. My what? You know, unfinished business. All ghosts have unfinished business. That's why they don't cross over. Unfinished business. I have no unfinished business. I have my treasure, my mansion. I have everything. I'm just perfect. <laughs> wait, wait. I lied. I have unfinished Lots of unfinished business. I, I'm not ready to cross over yet. Wait, you tricked me, you white little rat. That's Aladdin. That's how they get Jafar. They get him to wish to be a genie, and now he's a trapped into it's like you you totally lifted that from from Aladdin to get her to go into the afterworld. I was denied a ghost fight, Scott. Yes, a ghost fight. These ghosts are keeping her from her treasure. She turns into a ghost and she battles the ghost. A ghost fight. If you're going to go by the numbers, go by the numbers. When she kills Eric Idle, I wanted to see Eric Idle come back as a ghost. I wanted to see that. And I sat 
through the credits of this movie thinking that at least at the end they may do a Marvel thing where Eric Idle just pops up as a ghost. And, you know, and maybe that's like oh. a, a, a tease, a tease for Casper, too, that Scott, he's a ghost now. Scott, you should have asked me. I would have been like, don't waste your time. I was, oh, but, but didn't you think, well, you... No, because I'd watched this. I watched this movie so much as a child. Like I, I knew all. Of, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen every but, every step. But of the as movie. an adult, wouldn't have that have been? Wouldn't have that have been the logical thing to do? Is bring, you know, the show Eric Idle as a ghost? Well, yes, but also to ask me if I ever want more Eric Idle in anything is always going to be met with a resounding of course I love eric idle what's your favorite eric idle sketch on monty python oh geez uh you know okay so i don't remember the name of it but there's one where he is with terry jones and he's playing a like a really cheesy tv host and terry jones was one of the writers for his show and uh, true to form terry jones is like this really sad sack character who's i think timmy is the name of the the host and I know I know exactly the sketch you are referring I to. I love that sketch and so much. Eric Idle in that sketch, they're making fun of David Frost. Eric Idle oh, is actually right. playing, yeah, he's okay. playing a version of David Frost in that sketch. I know exactly right, what right, right. you're talking about. I mean, they, they made fun of David Frost a lot because uh, Graham Chapman and John Cleese were the writers for him. So they took the piss out of him quite a bit in the in, yes. in Python. But yeah, no, I love that where he's doing the David Frost bit and, and he's trying... And, like Terry Jones, his writer is trying to have a sincere talk with him about how hard his life has been since his wife died and he needs some, he needs a job so he can help support all of their children. And he's thinking that they're going to have a heart to heart, but Eric Idle is just like, oh no. So I hope you don't mind, but my biographer is here and he's posing for photos and sorry so on the phone. Super, super. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love that's, I think, my favorite Eric Idle moment from, from Flying Circus. Hmm. Uh -oh. Nigel, wonderful to see you. Super, super. Martini, oh, a bit late. Well, a bit, an hour. Oh, super. Only Snowden's been retouching my profile, and we can't upset the lovely Snowden, can we? Oh, gosh, David Blanks, the one and only. Super to see you. Who are you working for? Come and work for me. I'll call you tomorrow. Bye. It is really lovely to have this little chat with you. Well, it is so nice to be able to have this little talk about things. I heard the teeny rumourlet that you were married. Well, not quite, no. My, my wife's just died, actually. Oh, dear. <laughs> we must get together again soon. See you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> We can do a tribute to her on the show. Oh, no. I... I'll get Peter, William, Arthur, Alex, Joan, Ted, Scott, Wilf, John and Ray to fix it up. It is so nice having this little chat. Well, actually, Timmy, I'm glad to get you on your... You don't mind if Peter just sits in, do you? Well, actually... Only he's doing an article on me for the mail. He's such a lovely person. Hello. Uh, Peter, this is one of the nicest people in the world, Nigel Watt. Uh, W-A-T-T, that's right, yes. Um, actually, Timmy, the thing is, it's a bit private. Oh, uh, you don't mind uh, if Peter just sits in, do you? Only Peter's writing a book on me. Uh, Peter, you know Tony yes, from the mail, don't uh, we? Yes, we met the Turkish Express. Yes, right. Super, super. super. Uh, did it uh, come up well in the writing yesterday? Great, great. great. Uh, you took out the uh, the tummy reference. Yes, I did. Super, super, super. Uh, just to fill you in, uh, this is Nigel Watts, mm -hmm. and we're having a little heart-to-heart. H-E-A-R-T. -E <laughs> 
Notice how happy we are when we're talking about something besides Casper. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm sad. I wanted to love this as much as I loved it when I was younger. I, I like the idea of things that I enjoyed holding up. Um, and a lot of stuff that I has held. I mean, not everything in Monty Python is held up at all, but a good chunk of it has because it's so absurd that it it's it's applicable across. I'm not, I mean, oh, it's uniquely British, but so much of the absurdity you can apply to so many other things and so many other mental and cultural paradigms. Uh, but you know, space goes coast to coast held up really well. But man, like. Like, Ren and Stimpy didn't hold up. I loved that show as a kid. Loved it. Did not hold up. And Casper didn't hold up either. And and this and this movie had a lot of direct-to-video sequels. You know, Casper meets Wendy. And I guess this was a relative, a relatively big hit. It made its money back. I, I enjoyed Christina Ricci's acting. I enjoyed her in the movie. I thought oh, she did a really good job. She's always great. Yeah. She's always great. She's always been great since she was younger. I I will never I will never fault Christina Ricci for anything because even in something that's not good around her, she herself is always good. And she always really works very hard to create great characters. She does whatever she can with what she's been given and and uh, I think that she is someone who really tries to have great relationships with people on screen. She gives and takes really well. Um, as inconsistent as this movie was, like you said, the the interplay between her and Bill Pullman was great and was fine. That I thought that I could believe that they were father and daughter. She she gives and takes very well. She is a, a consummate performer. She does, and she has a lot of scenes with Casper, which means she was acting by herself. Yeah. They had to, they had to put Casper in in post-production. So with her acting opposite of no one, I believe that she was talking to Casper. I, it, it looked, she really pulled it off. I think Bill Pullman did a good job when he was dealing with the uncles as well. I thought they both did a job of, you know, acting opposite of no one. Uh, right. And this know- was this was pre a lot of CGI green screeny stuff. Like this was one of the earlier CGI movies. I'm not gonna fault the actors. I don't think the acting was the problem. The problem was the script. Yes. And the direction. Uh the reason Bill Pullman is trying, you know, is talking to ghosts is he's trying to find his dead wife. And his dead wife is an... Oh, and there's a... Okay, I want to... I'll, I'll talk about the dead wife, and then there's something else I want to get your opinion on. See what you think. And the dead wife... The dead wife is an angel, and she says, I have no unfinished business because you and Christina Ricci, you guys loved me so much while I was alive. There's... It's a... And it's a really weird scene for a children's movie, but it's this. it's this touching, melodramatic scene where... She tells him to let go. I'm fine. Move on. Be a dad to Christina Ricci, uh, you know, and I'll be looking over you. You know, it's a it's a nice dramatic scene, and then it's immediately undercut uh, by Casper turning from a boy back into a ghost, and all and all the crowd screaming and running out. So we didn't even have time to digest that scene for what it was. It was immediately undercut by comedy. 
it that scene had didn't even have time to breathe uh for us to take it in because mid 90s children's movie they wanted to make that money off that ip yes okay so i'm gonna ask you this uh so uh bill pullman's wife is an angel and Casper sacrificed himself so Bill Pullman could come back to life. They, you know, the one turn in the life-giving machine, they gave it to uh, Bill Pullman instead of Casper. And she's like, you've done well. I'm going to, you can be human for, and they don't, until 10 o'clock. And we actually have no idea how long that is because we haven't, we don't know what time it is when she grants us wish. 9.30. But <laughs> 9.30, a half hour. No, no, I, I, I'm just joking. I don't no, know. No, no, but that's about it. It's, I would say, you know, it's not long. That was a very noble thing you did tonight, Casper. I know Kat will never forget it. She needs her father. And I know yours will never forget it either. You fulfilled his greatest dream, Casper. And I know he is very, very proud of you. And for what you've done, I'm giving you your dream in return. But it's just for tonight. Sort of a Cinderella deal. So I have until midnight? Ten. Hey, Cinderella got until midnight. Cinderella wasn't 12 years old. I don't know. Would you? I don't know. Would you want a taste of something that you, for a half an hour that when it's gone, you can never have it again? Or I don't know. I don't know if I would want that. I don't know if I would want to go back, you know, be able to be human for a half hour and then just have it taken away again. That just seems you're getting robbed twice. Well, two uh, things. A. She she talks to Casper about his dad. So she knows his dad. It's implied that his dad's an angel. So what I'm wondering is why the hell don't Casper be like, I'm going to go see my pops and become an angel, baby. Like, that just seems strange to me that he would throw a chance to see his beloved parent away for some human lady he's only, or for some human girl he's only known for like a, a couple of weeks, really. I'm going to tell you something. We're getting we're getting to, we're getting deeper and darker in the Casper than I think anybody else ever ever has or will. Well, I mean, the more you the more you parse it, the darker it gets. Oh, but, but to answer you... your your previous question, would I would I would I go for like a, a couple hours or a half hour of being human again? No, I've already established that if I was a ghost, that would be really cool because I look forward to haunting people. I look forward to being able to travel without paying for airline tickets. I look forward to ibuprofen no longer being a a food source. I I no, I, well, I look forward to like being able to, to just morph my Well, but why would I want to ever be human? Is what well, I'm saying. What I'm like asking. I would if I if I had that magical half hour of being human, I'd be like spending the entire time thinking, man, I wish I was still a ghost. So no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give up all the benefits of being a ghost. Are you nuts? To me, it would just be like I said, being punished twice. It's like I've already died, and now I get to I get to taste life for a half hour again, and then go back to being dead. 
So now I have these fresh memories in my head of what it was like to be alive. Ghost puberty must be a, a really, really strong thing just so he could be human, just so he could dance with her and kiss her. It's weird and it's dark and I'm not sure I like, I like that. I wouldn't mind a dark Casper movie, uh, but it has to be, it would have to be dark from start to finish. And here it's like, oh, you know, I died when I was 12 because I went out sledding and I caught pneumonia. And here's the uncle. Hey, I just farted. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make this movie. Is Casper public domain yet? Let's see. Not yet. Yeah, nope. Nope. It, it, it looks like some of the movies might be public domain, like the early, but. Oh, the early cartoons. Um, mm-hmm, but it looks like DreamWorks owns the rights right now. What would you say, just nutshelling this movie, present it to our listeners? Uh, I would say just watch the scenes with. Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle and Guido Sarducci because Don yeah. Novello is not even his real name. It's Guido Sarducci and Dan Aykroyd. And just watch that scene. And that's really all you need. Yeah. Just go to YouTube and watch the scene. This is a very disappointing, dull movie where some of your favorite people are in it, but they can't it's- save it. You know, I'm not taking delight in ripping it apart. This doesn't. No, no, neither me. am I. No, I know. I I'm just saying, like, this doesn't bring me joy. Like, I was, I was hyped. To Scott can tell you, I, I was, I was like, yeah, cool. I get to revisit a childhood classic. It's gonna be awesome. And it wasn't awesome. And I was sad. And I wanted my money back. It's, you know, like, if I, you know, I watched the third Bill and Ted movie recently, and I loved it. I loved it. It was a great, great, great example of taking like an older nostalgia property and doing right by it, doing the things that made the previous two entries work beautifully, but also putting enough in the story that moves things forward and understands the trap of nostalgia. It was a a fantastic movie. I loved Bill and Ted Face the Music. and I think that's, I think it's a great example of how to do a nostalgia property right. And Casper the Friendly Ghost is a nostalgia property. It was made for boomers. Well, uh, I mean, Casper the Friendly Ghost, when that came out, honestly, you know, it, if it came out in 95, the kids who would have seen it, I doubt would have known who Casper was. Because those Casper uh, cartoons were, I think, from the 60s and 70s, maybe even before that. I. I knew who he was. Yeah, but you're weird. Oh. Um, I, I mean, if it's you know Casper, not a lot of kids are gonna, not a lot of no. kids are gonna go. I remember Casper. Let's go see Casper. No, that's that's. I mean, that's not entirely accurate because I do remember there being some. Uh, I think he, there were references to him on Cartoon Network at the time and and things. So. No, there, there would have he would have seeped into pop culture to some degree. Now he, I don't think he his heyday would have necess- would have he probably wasn't as popular as he was in his heyday, for sure. But I, I don't think he was a complete unknown. I well, not a complete unknown. Like they did, uh, they did Richie Rich. I think these companies just get a hold of old, old properties and just think, well, we got to name it, you know. 
the name recognition alone is going to bring people in. Oh, 100%. And, but they need to go a little farther. It's like, okay, well, the name recognition is going to bring people in, but word of mouth is going to kill your movie faster than the name recognition is going to bring people in. It's also, um, I think, has a lot to do with you have to use it before the rights revert. They uh, may yes, have been I'm sitting sure. on the right. It may have been a rights renewal thing, like, oh, oh, we have to do something with this, or else we have we lose the rights. So it may have been that they were just sitting on the IP for a while, and suddenly had to had to do something with it, or else they would have had to give it back. I think some of it too is is not just necessarily a nostalgia cash grab, but uh, on a meta level, a rights pr- preservation. No, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, a lot of studios have to put out garbage to keep a you know to, to keep property so yes you're, you're you're probably right on that as well they probably had it and it's like we got to do something with it or we lose it because they made this movie and then they made like two or three direct-to-video sequels which i'm sure made money because there's no you know i'm sure the quality was low at, you know, and the the rental boom or, you know, the DVD, direct, you know, people are going to see it and buy it. Even if it's very hard for a franchise to lose money. And the more the more you can squeeze out of a franchise, like the, the, the lesser the quality of the movie, but you're still making money. I didn't even know there were sequels. Yeah, actually, Kathy Moriarty any. is in a sequel. They brought her back. She's in one of the Casper sequels. As a ghost? I don't know. I'm sure. Did she, did she suddenly have unfinished business that she didn't realize that she had? Like, like, does the ghost have to be aware that their unfinished business is finished? Because it seems like they defeated her by getting her to admit it. So I I was just, I, I didn't know if it was like a, 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 like a metaphysical thing where your unfinished business is done, ergo you pop out of it, or do you have to conscientiously acknowledge that your unfinished business is done? Right. Maybe like, you does think the universe... you have unfinished business, but you don't have unfinished business. Right. And... Does the universe determine whether or not you, like, what's what's the laws of self-determination for ghosts here? Like, I, I'll be honest, Scott, I kind of want go to go past the bar and become a ghost property lawyer now because I'm genuinely curious. I'll make so much money because that's totally a real field. I'm sure you can make it a real field. Uh, But it's, yeah, it's totally arbitrary on, as as we get from this movie, it's totally arbitrary. So I guess when Eric Idle died, he didn't have any unfinished business. Because he he didn't have a life or any kind of, any motivation outside from being Kathy Mortiari's PA. But wouldn't his unfinished business being getting back with Kathy Moriarty because he's still alive, and then maybe he went? I don't know. Wait, what if and he didn't? What if he didn't die from falling out a window? What if he's well, still then alive? You see him, then you see him, you know, in a cast or 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 it. That was, and I didn't like Eric Idle needed a better. He deserved better than being thrown out a window. He deser, he deserved a. He just deserved a dynamite, uh, you know, snap, crackle. If he's going to exit the movie like that, then make it make it big. He deserved it. And but I I'm sure it, it's like bring him back. You've got Eric Idle. Just bring him back. I, 
I, you're telling me that the audience wouldn't have gotten a kick out of right before the end credits. You see Eric Idle's faced as a ghost pop back on and say, you know, oh, now what am I supposed to do now? Or something like that. You're telling me that th- that wouldn't have been a, that wouldn't have been the perfect ending to this movie. And the audience wouldn't have gotten a kick out of that. I would have gotten a kick out of it. I or too. even if he was just limping around in a cast or like just on the ground, like splayed out and be like, help me somebody. No, that would have also or, been funny. Yeah, or help me somebody. And the three uncles just come down and pick him up. Oh my God. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. We, 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 we've just written a better ending to this movie. Just spitballing off the top of our heads. Well, to be fair, we're improvisers. We are improvisers. We're trained to tell good stories. But to be fair, these people had a writer, and they could have had, and they had several drafts of this movie. Very seldom does a movie get made from its first draft. There's usually two or three, or a lot more draft. I'm just curious to see how many drafts did this movie go through just to be bad. Well, how yeah. many? I'm curious too. How many writers? Because there were two writers, and well, I believe two credited. They were both- to credited, credited writers, because there's always ghost writing. There's also people that do script <laughs> doctoring. Ghost writers! Oh! oh. Um, but no, remember the uh, the Flintstones 2 fiasco? There were tons of writers on that, but I think only one or two got credited. Well, there's always, like, uh, like Quentin Tarantino. They'll, they'll bring him in to punch up a script, and I believe Seth Rogen has talked about this, too. They won't get credit, but they'll hire them. They'll pay, you know, $50,000 and throw a couple of jokes in here. Carrie Fisher was the same. Carrie Fisher yep. was a very in-demand script doctor. Oh, man. What if Carrie Fisher wrote this movie? <laughs> There'd be a lot more cocaine in it. Well, I mean, it <laughs> would have been an improvement. See, now that would be like if we did a darker version of Casper. There's that scene where the uncles are eating and the food just falls through them on the floor. And it looks Wouldn't like it'd be food. funny if like an uncle was snorting cocaine and just flew out the back of his head. Well, that would have been hilarious. But like, yeah, that was the other thing too. Why was the food partially digested if they don't have digestive tracts? To me, it should have just flopped right into the yeah, they just flopped right in full. And what would have been funny is it flops right to the floor. Casper puts the food intact back on the tray, puts it back in the refrigerator. Oh so technically, they're been... eating the same meal over and over and oh, over God. again. Yeah, that would have been great. But then then they wouldn't have had to throw all of the masticated chocolate on Bill Pullman. It looks like doo-doo. <laughs> it See? looks like poo. And here's the thing. Poop is funny, but you have to do it right. A, a good poop joke is... Uh, like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia's Who Pooped the Bed episode. That's an entire episode that's a poop joke, and it's amazing. So I'm not, I'm not against fart jokes. I'm not against poop jokes no, no, at no. all. Oh, but God, they have no. to be I, well I done. Joke, and these, jokes, aren't, fart jokes. these aren't good poop and fart jokes. They're not. And that makes me sad because it's a, it's a wonderful and timeless art, the, the poop and fart joke. <laughs> give it, the, give it the, the due that it is owed. Or give it the due that it is odor. Uh, you can't see me, but I'm finger gunsing you. All right, everybody. So we're, uh, I think uh, both Meredith and I are in agreement. If you haven't seen Casper, skip it. If you remember it fondly from your childhood, don't rewatch it because you will not get those yeah. fond memories just, again. Just watch Ghostbusters again.
just watch Ghostbusters again. That's just going to be whenever yeah. whenever we don't like a movie, we'll just say watch Ghostbusters again. Yeah, or I guess watch Ghost if you want to watch like sexy ghosts talking to people. If you don't want to be uncomfortable between a ghost sex scene, which actually yeah. was a lesbian scene because he entered Whippy Goldberg's body, so that was a that was a a, a sex ghost lesbian scene. I am. That is, that is, two things that I, I appreciate. Sex, ghosts, and lesbians. That's three things. Oh yeah, that's three things that I appreciate. No, actually, two things that I appreciate: ghosts and lesbians. All right, and that, that's and uh, Meredith, what do you want to promote? Uh, where can people find you? Uh, current projects, anything like that. Okay, well, I don't want to talk about my current projects just yet because I fear oh, okay. that if I keep talking about them that they're just going to be cursed and not happen because every time I talk about what I'm working on, uh, it gets set back because of technical problems or something else. So uh, I don't want to promote anything, but I will give you my social media. Meredith Nudo, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H-N-U-D-O, all one word. That is my Twitter. That is mostly where I will promote my stuff. You can also find me on Facebook at Hardcore Nudo T, H-A-R-D-C-O-R-E-N-U-D-O-T-Y is my public-facing Facebook page. And my website is Hardcore Nudo T, again, H-A-R-D-C-O-R-E-N-U-D-O-T-Y dot com. So, uh, you know, within the next couple of weeks, I should actually have something pretty big dropping. All right. Well, uh, Meredith, it's always it's always good to hear from you. I, yeah, I, I always enjoy doing these podcasts with you. Please listen to uh, not only this episode of the Dan Aykroyd podcast, but go back and check out the if you haven't go back and check out the episode of Ghostbusters 2 that Meredith and I did uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, that was and, fun. Uh, it was fun. And uh, that's it. This is another episode of the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Meredith Nudo, for always Aww. always being a delight. And uh, you know what? We're going to listen to Meredith right now telling you how you can support this podcast. <laughs> yes, Bye. support this podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Casper, the friendly ghost, the friendliest ghost you know. Though grown-ups might look at him with fright, the children all love him so. He always says hello, and he's really glad to meet you. Wherever he may go, he's kind to every living creature. Grown-ups don't understand why children love him the most. But kids all know that he loves them so. Casper the friendly 